Amen, amen, amen. Good morning, everybody. So good to see you. Good morning, New Life Midtown. Wow, wow, wow. It's so wonderful to worship with you this morning. What a beautiful spirit in this place. And thank you to Pastor Christy for the introduction and the warm welcome. I have known, especially Pastor Jade, I've known Pastor Jade for a really long time, like 25 years. And the other night, we were in, we were in college together, and the other night, uh, I don't know what caused it, but I, I dug out this tub of old photos, and I was showing our kids... Uh, we have we have four children. Our older two are teenagers, sixteen and fourteen, and and we just got to talking. I was like, let's pull out these old pictures. And as we're going through it, um, our, our daughter goes, "Hey, is that Pastor Jade?" I said, "Yes, that's exactly right." We had this picture of the two of us at our graduation together at ORU. So we were both slightly uh, slimmer in those days, but uh, <laughs> I have I have so much love and respect for him and for Christy and for. Uh, Jonathan and, and the team here at New Life Midtown. I've been in the city uh, for 21 years. I've been at New Life Church for 21 years and and uh, been familiar with your work here at the church and the different seasons that you've been through. And particularly over the last five, six, seven years as uh, Pastor Jade and I have, con- have, have reconnected and walked alongside each other, we've just felt such a kinship and such a beautiful spirit between this house. And, and what a joy. I mean, we've always been in the same kingdom, but now to be in the same church family uh, is like just extra, extra special. Uh, and, and then to know that, you know, Jade this morning is preaching at New Life East. I think one of the blessings of this, uh, this model, this congregational model that we're in is there is a sense of camaraderie and co- collaboration, but there's also, I believe, what the Holy Spirit is doing. There's also multiplication, there's also more that we can accomplish together than we could have done alone, and that's what we're trusting the Lord for. So as we open the scriptures this morning, would you join me with, in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for the way that you speak to us. We ask even now as we continue our series that you would open our eyes to see Jesus, open our ears to hear your voice, open our hearts to be soft and tender to you, open our minds. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. We pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. I grew up in Malaysia. It's where I'm originally from. And in my high school years, I began to kind of get involved with worship leading at our church, at our youth group. And because we were in kind of a larger city, and this sometimes happens, particularly in developing countries, there, there, were, there were more, um, churches had more sort of uh, equipment and resources with their worship ministry, and I was blessed to have grown up in a church that had a lot of resources and training, and so from time to time, I would want to go, I, I, would, I would go with some friends to some other churches in some smaller towns, and I, I would go with, you know, some, some friends in their 20s who could drive, and I was, you know, going along 15, 16, and we would go and we'd try to lead worship and help these other churches, but there there were times when there was this invitation they would say come and you know lead for us this weekend and they would say you can you can use our band and uh and the first few times I was like oh sure I'll use your band and Jonathan's laughing over here because he knows after a while you realize you know this might be easier if I just play alone you know uh, and, and and you sort of think I don't I mean working with other 
people and I don't know if they know these songs or the skill level. And so you're like, I just, I'll just play alone. And so the sound is less robust, but at least you have control over it. <laughs> and I was thinking about that this week because that's a little bit like how we are sometimes with relationships. We're like, you know, the problem with life is that sometimes it involves people, right? <laughs> And if we're honest, the problem with people is that they're not like us. Like if they could just be as awesome as we are, if they thought the same way, then it would be easy. And so like 15-year-old Glenn, we decide with relationships, let's just go solo. It'll be easier. Life may not be as loud and as full, but, you know, at least we're in control over it. When I got to college, I took a semester and decided to sign up for a jazz band. And I thought, this will be fun. This will kind of stretch my musical uh, skills a little bit. And I remember one of the early sessions was just a four-piece, keyboard, bass, drums, uh, and I think there was a saxophonist. And one of the early uh, meeting times or rehearsal times or jam sessions or whatever, couldn't believe it counted as a class, um, the instructor said, let's turn off the lights today. And he's like, because it's not about the chord progression, it's about you feeling the song. And so he turns off the lights, and we're in there, and I'm like, okay, we're trying to vibe this. And if you know jazz, you know that very often what you'll do is you'll trade a set of bars, and and one musician will kind of, one instrument will kind of take it, and then it'll stop, and then the other one will kind of take it, and you hand off to each other back and forth a little bit like that. Sometimes you trade fours, you trade bars of four, of of four bars. And I remember it, that that was an experience of recognizing that music is not just about getting the notes right, it's about learning to intuit the other musicians you're playing with. It's not just about getting the notes right. It's about learning how to say, oh, I think they're doing this. Okay, then I'll do this. And how to play off someone else and how to say, oh, if they're going to do that, then I'll just drop out. And this is actually what the Christian life is like. In fact, this whole series in Proverbs, it's called How Do I? And the whole series on Proverbs is about wisdom. It's about living with wisdom. And the life of wisdom is a little bit like jazz. It requires some discernment. It's the, the book of Proverbs is different than the Ten Commandments. You don't read the book of Proverbs and say, oh, I'm going to do every one of these things and these are laws. They're not laws. They're generally true sayings, but they're contextually determined. So sometimes you're like, this is right. And other times you're like, this is right. It's just like jazz. There's definitely a key signature we're working with. There's definitely a song that we're kind of a motif that we're playing with. But there's not all these rules and there's not exact notes on the page. And specifically today, we're going to talk about dealing with difficult people. How do I yeah, respond to fools and wicked? Yeah, I, I, I actually had retitled it to soften it a little bit. How do I, resp- how do I deal with difficult people? But our, our creative team had had this already prepped. So the cat's out of the bag. We're talking about fools and wicked people today. And even though life might seem like it's easier to do solo, we need to learn the art of discerning what to do with the different people in our life. Now, if you look back at this last year, <laughs> I think in a couple of ways it revealed how difficult people can be. <laughs> I mean, all of us in different situations, different circumstances, we're like, man, people are making a big deal about everything. I was talking to someone who works at a school, and I was like, how was the school year for you, a school teacher? And he was like, mostly good till the last two weeks. I was like, what happened the last two weeks? He's like, well, the state lifted the mask mandate, but the school kept it. And it's like, all of a sudden, the parents just unleashed a year's worth of frustration on us. I was like, oh, and some of you, your teachers, you know this. 
Whatever line of work, if you're a decision maker of some kind, you know it. I mean, the uncomfortable truth is this year we all became difficult people. (laughs) At different points, we all became difficult people. And when we look for wisdom in the world, the world says, well, when someone is difficult, cancel them. When someone is difficult, just mute them. Just block them. Just, you, you don't have to deal with that. Or maybe we think, we think that the biblical response or the Christian response is difficult people. Oh, well, just, just lay down like a doormat and just take it. And so in our mind, we have these, these two options. Either we block and cancel and move on, or we, yeah, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. just stay in that situation. And we need wisdom that says it's not either of those things. There's another way we're supposed to see. And so I want to invite you into that this morning as we open up the book of Proverbs. And I want to say up front, I think Proverbs outlines three types of difficult people. Probably there's more, but I I, I find that there's three, at least three types of difficult people that you see in Proverbs. There's the wicked, there's the fool, and there's the enemy. And in each one of these, I'm going, to sh- I'm going to read a few verses to say who they are. Then I'll give a one-sentence definition of who they are. And then we'll talk briefly about how to deal with them. So who are the wicked? Who are the wicked? Proverbs 12, verse 6 says, The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the speech of the upright rescues them. Something about the wicked is connected to violence. Proverbs 10, verse 16, The wages of the righteous is life, but the earnings of the wicked are sin and death. Not only do they bring about death, but they will meet their death. They're headed toward death. Actually, about 30 different times, Proverbs says that the wicked will bring shame and destruction to themselves. And then, Proverbs also talks about how God will bring destruction to the wicked. You know how sometimes you you look at a person going through a a situation, and you, you know that their actions led to that? And you wonder, is this just a consequence of their actions, or is this God disciplining them? Sometimes it's both. Sometimes it's the same situation, and you're like, this is a consequence of my uh, decision-making, poor decision, but also God is chastening me in the midst of that. And Proverbs shows us that complexity. Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, A heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. That's the job description of the wicked right there. Lying, prideful, violent, rushing into evil, quick to rush to evil. This isn't the wicked is not the person who inadvertently wronged someone. The wicked is not the person who who made a mistake. The wicked is the person who intentionally does evil. Who are the wicked? Maybe we could think of it this morning as the wicked are those who do evil, act violently, and end up in death and destruction. Maybe we could have added to that on purpose. They purpose to do evil. They purpose to act violently. And then they end up in death and destruction. So how do the Proverbs say we are to deal with? with wicked people. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I suspect you all have someone you're thinking of right now. You're like, yeah, this will be interesting. Proverbs 4, verses 14 through 17, do not set foot on the path of the wicked. Well, there you go. Or walk in the way of evildoers. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go on your way. 
for they cannot rest until they do evil. They are robbed of sleep until they make someone stumble. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Proverbs is saying to us, there are people who their day isn't done until they've done something wicked. And when you encounter someone like that, you don't even mess around. Like, don't, don't entertain it. Don't say, well, I don't know. But they're, you know, they're funny. They're popular. They're... Don't even mess with that. Proverbs 9, verse 7, in case you think, well, but, but I can be a good influence on the wicked. Proverbs 9, verse 7 says, whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. And whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. The wicked is the kind of person that we're not supposed to try to influence. How do we deal with the wicked? Stay away. Stay away from the wicked. If you're wondering, well, what does the New Testament say? Think about Jesus when he's telling the story. He says, you know, you cast out demons in my name and you did all this stuff. And he says, but I will say, depart from me, you evildoers. God himself in his judgment at the end of it all creates distance from those who are determined to do wickedness. God himself at the very end, of the judgment of God, one way of understanding the judgment of God is creating the distance between those who are bent on wickedness and evil. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. There are a few other times in the New Testament where Paul says, flee! Flee sexual immorality, he says. Flee these things. In other words, there are some situations that you're not supposed to be like, no, 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 I'm super strong. I can do this. I'll be a good influence. Proverbs says, There's an art in recognizing that, oh, this isn't a situation where I can influence anything. This is a situation that I need to actually remove myself from. There are those times. And it's uncomfortable, and maybe it's not as often as we think. Maybe we shouldn't be as quick to jump to this conclusion. But we need to hold out the possibility that in some situations in our life, the Holy Spirit is saying, "Uh uh-uh, keep away. Stay away. From that. How do we deal with the wicked? Stay away. Maybe you're, you're, you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, I, don't, I mean, I don't know anyone in my life who's like that bad, you know. It's true. But we do have access to the influence of the wicked through the shows that we watch, through the people that we follow online, through the way we spend time on the internet. Now, it's, I just sound like an old man, the internet. <laughs> You know, it's it's a difficult thing, you guys, because we don't want to be fussy and legalistic and say, okay, let's make these rules. Never watch, uh, you know, whatever, R-rated movie or never, you know. And then then inevitably someone will say, what about Braveheart, you know? (laughs) So, So I'm not interested in making rules for us. But the life of wisdom is an invitation to discernment. The life of wisdom is an invitation to discernment. I'm asking you today to say, could the Holy Spirit be speaking to you about certain influences that you're like, you know what, if I knew that guy, like, would I actually have that guy in my home? No, but he's in my home on my iPad every night. Like, maybe I don't need that kind of thinking in my life. Maybe I'm listening to this language over and over again. Then when I lose my temper, that language comes out of me. So I can't tell you what to do. But if the Holy Spirit is saying that's actually a place of wickedness that you need to cut out, stay away from. 
The second kind of person that Proverbs introduces us to is the fool. Who is the fool? You're like, I already know. I got lots of these people. They're all on Facebook. (laughs) Proverbs says, Proverbs 1 verse 7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. That's our first clue. A fool is someone who despises wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 28, 26, those who trust in themselves are fools. But those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. That's our second clue. Fools are the people who trust in themselves. At least 16 times, Proverbs links the fool with his mouth. At least 16 times. Because some of the verses are like, well, that could kind of indicate it as well. The fool is somehow connected to the way he runs his mouth. The chattering fool is a phrase that appears in Proverbs. Proverbs 18, verse 2. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. (laughs) You guys. It's just, we have created an expectation that there ought to be people on the radio and on TV who have something to say 24-7. Basically, we've given a platform to chattering fools. Like, 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 honest, like, take a break from the news for a week. You could catch up on the headlines pretty quick. But if it's constantly on, all, at some point, all we're listening to is someone del- who delights in airing their own opinions. <laughs> and you're like, you know what? I just, I don't need that. Verse 6, the lips of fool bring, b- fools bring them strife, and their mouths invite a beating. What'd you say? That's that, that's that person. The mouths of fools are their undoing, and their lips are a snare to their very lives. Who is the fool? The fool hates wisdom, trusts in themselves too much, reacts in anger, and talks all the time. That's our little sketch, our profile of the fool. Hates wisdom, trusts in themselves. You already know everything. Can't teach them anything. They already know. Reacts in anger, very reactive. Everything's setting them off, the smallest thing. And they're talking all the time. That's, that's maybe the best clue. So how do we deal with fools? What do we do with fools? Proverbs 13 verse 20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. It's a caution to say, don't walk too often or too far with fools. It's going to not work out for you. Proverbs 23 verse 9 don't, do not speak to fools, for they will scorn your prudent words. Even if you have prudent words to give, fools won't. They're not really interested in listening. Proverbs 27, verse 22. Though you grind a fool in a mortar, grinding them like a grain with pestle. In Malaysia, there's a mortar and pestle. It's like a, a, a bowl that you grind up spices in. And Proverbs is saying, if you grind a fool in mortar, grinding them like a grain with pestle, you will not remove your fo- the folly from them. You can't, get it. you can't get good spices out of it. It's just it, nothing's coming. They're not going to learn from you. Proverbs 29, verse 9, if a wise person goes to court with a fool, the fool rages and scoffs, and there is no peace. They're not going to work with you. Sometimes you're like, I'm just trying to reconcile this, and we're going to have one more conversation, and I'm just going to go meet with them one more time. And after a while, you kind of need to realize, you know what? Only one of us is interested in peace here. And the other person is raging and scoffing. There's no peace. 
You could have one wise person, but all it takes is one fool to make sure that there will never be peace. And for, they're not going to listen. They're not going to learn. They're not going to work with you. So what do we do? This is one of my favorite back-to-back verses in Proverbs. Ready? Proverbs 26, verse 4. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be just like him. You'll get caught in his game. We're like, no kidding. Read the comment thread on anything. <laughs> right? <laughs> But then, verse 5, answer a fool according to his folly, or he'll be wise in his own eyes. Jack, I'm so confused. <laughs> this is why I said to you, Proverbs is not the same as the commandments. Wisdom literature is not the Torah. So, back to, and they're not, he's not trying to hide it. It's not like I'm hunting for discrepancies. No, he's like, back to back verses. <laughs> Don't answer a fool, answer a fool. Uh, excuse me, Solomon. <laughs> I got a lot of fools in my life. I need to know what to do. And I think the answer here, how do we deal with fools, is you have to stay alert. You have to stay alert. So the wicked, you stay away, but fools, you stay alert. You don't want to let your guard down because they're going to, all of a sudden it's going to be, and you see this sometimes, you know, I think back to college years and like some of the things that we did, you know, just for fun, like, oh, let's all go, you know, whatever. Nothing bad, nothing wicked. But was was it wise? No, certainly not. (laughs) Certainly not wise. And, and, and I think now as a parent, you know, whose oldest kid is 16, I'm thinking, oh boy, how do I help them here? But you got to stay alert around fools and, and actually it requires our own heart recognizing the difference between right and wrong and wise versus foolish. So when we're young or when you're training up kids, those of you that have young kids, you just make things real black and white, Right? Every stranger is danger. <laughs> so you're like, don't talk to strangers. But as they get older, you're like, hey, why didn't you say hi? You're like, because you told me not to talk to strangers. You know? Like, no, 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 no. It's okay. Introduce yourself. Look them in the eye. Shake their hands. Like, okay, you know, what happened to stranger danger? And, and as they grow older, your goal for your child is not that they'll be like, mom, is this a stranger or is this a person I should introduce myself to? You know, your goal for them is that they can discern it. If a parent is always issuing decrees, you never teach discernment. And this is why I'm learning. I'm learning the hard way. I'm slow, but I'm learning that the older my kids get, the softer my touch needs to be. Because I'm not actually, I can't. But my, my hope for them is that they would cultivate the heart of wisdom. And the same is true for us. God says to us, look, there is right and there is wrong, but there are lots of things that are neither right nor wrong, but you have to decide if it's wise or foolish. You have to decide, is, is, this, is this wise for me? Like, no, I, I just, I think I better not. I'm not saying it's wrong. I just, I, I, I don't think I should. When, um, when I was 10, we moved from Malaysia to America. My parents went to Bible college in Portland, Oregon. And uh, it, it was an amazing time and so many miracle stories of God's provision, God taking care of us in those years. But it also, as I look back on it now, being in my 40s, it must have felt overwhelming for my parents trying to pa- parent their kids. I was 10, my sister 13, coming all of a sudden into America and there's different influences and cultures and all of this stuff. And one day I brought home from youth group uh, a cassette tape. <laughs> yeah, that's how old long ago this was. <laughs> A cassette tape of a rock band called Petra. Anybody know Petra? Yeah. Now, my dad got radically saved in his, you know, younger years. He, 
he was a Hindu, and then he, you know, became born again, but he cut out kind of all secular music and cut out all alcohol. Like, it, for him, it was a radical following of Jesus. And there was never any secular music in our house after that. And so in his mind, it was like, Hosanna tapes or nothing, you know? <laughs> and, and so when I came home with this tape, I was like, Dad, this, this, is, this is like Christian, but it's rock. And he just looked at me and he goes, Christian rock. He goes, what's next? Christian cigarettes? <laughs> and then, <laughs> he just, you know, couldn't compete. And then he said, then he, then he you know, settled down a bit. And then he said, okay, okay. He said, why don't you take a week and you can listen to this cassette tape, you know, throughout this week. And you tell me if at the end of the week, are you closer to God or farther from God in your heart? That's pretty good wisdom. And of course, after listening to Petra for a week, I was closer to God, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, but I, I think this is what it means to stay alert around fools. To say, are these people leading me towards Jesus? Or at the end of the day, are they kind of like cooling my heart towards the Lord? You know, and I, you just got to stay alert around fools, you can't, you don't always know. And it might be that, okay, I'll go with them on this thing, but later on you might be like, but I'm not going to do that. Or I'm not going to go with them on this trip. Or I'm not going to, you know. And you're always, you're, you just can't go to sleep on that. You have to stay alert. Finally, the third category of difficult person that Proverbs introduces us to is the enemy. The enemy. Who is the enemy? Very simply, the enemy is, is, is the one who lives in opposition to God and the people of God. This is the person who wants your downfall. This is the person who, who doesn't want you to succeed. And not just doesn't want you to succeed, but actually lives in, uh, lives in a kind of way that is in opposition to your own convictions and values. How do we deal with our enemies? Proverbs 24, 17 through 18 says, Do not gloat when your enemy falls. When they stumble, do not let your heart rejoice. Or the Lord will see and disapprove and turn his wrath away from them. He'll stop judging them when you start gloating over it. Isn't that crazy? Like, God's like, I'll deal with it, but I don't need you to be all gloaty about it. Proverbs 25, verse 21 through 22. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. See, the enemy is sometimes, it's different than just the wicked. The wicked is like, oh my gosh, there's just, it's evil. The enemy is a person where it's personal. And what I think wisdom is inviting us to is, is saying, don't cut people out of your life to be vindictive. When there, are, when there are situations where you have the opportunity to pay back or be vindictive or, or bring retribution, God's like, that's not what I'm talking about. See, sometimes we use boundary language and the good, healthy boundary stuff, but we use it in a way that is vindictive. We use it as a way of not just, saying, not just staying safe, but actually saying, I hate you. You're my enemy. How do we deal with our enemies? From the wicked, we stay away. From fools, we stay alert. But from our enemies, we stay kind. We stay kind. Even in the Old Testament, this is why I believe the Bible is a unity. I say even in the Old Testament, quote-unquote, because we have this impression that God changes his M.O. from Old Testament to New Testament, and he does not. 
He's always been the God who wants to teach us to be kind to our enemies. Some years ago, I had the privilege of, of spending a few days at the home of Eugene and Jan Peterson. Eugene, who translated the message and written many books on pastoral ministry. And, and he formed very deep convictions about what church should be and what church should not be. And we asked him, a friend of mine and I, who was traveling with me, and we asked Eugene, we said, well, how do you deal with people who are living in a way that's just the opposite of your values? Because they're your brother in the Lord, but actually it almost feels like they're just so contrary. And he said, he said I had to tell myself that they're my enemy. And he's like, because I knew that Jesus doesn't let me off the hook with my enemies. And sometimes we live in this kind of gray, you know, gray space of like, I don't know, they're neither my friend, nor my, and I don't know what to do. So we just kind of leave it over here. Maybe it's easier to say, actually, they're kind of an enemy. But Jesus says to love my enemies and to bless my enemies. Because once we name it, now we know how to deal with it. Once we identify, actually, I don't like those people. Those people are going to be the ruin of our society. I mean, there's a lot of that talk that's going around. Okay, name them as your ideological enemy. And then treat them the way Jesus says to treat your enemies. Don't just, don't just whine about it and complain about it. Don't slander them. Don't gossip them. Go ahead and name them as your ideological enemy. Fine. They don't think like you. Okay, now what? Name that so that you can understand that Jesus says, even to the ones who live in opposition to you, we can stay kind. Now, the challenge with a sermon like this is it's easy to imagine that we are the righteous one, healthy, mature, wise, and everyone else is the difficult one. I'm the easy one. We always imagine that we're in the middle, and that person's far left, and that person's far right. But where I am is perfect. I, I'm easy, but they're difficult. Jesus has something to say about that. Luke 6, Jesus says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye, you hypocrite? First take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see more clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. I was reading a commentator on this recently who said, think of Jesus the carpenter. How often did Jesus get a speck of sawdust in his eye? I'd never thought about that. And there's probably lots of moments where Jesus would go to his dad and say, Dad, Dad, hey, Dad, something right here. You know, hang on, son. Yeah, okay, got it. And Jesus is like, that's the way it's supposed to work. Hey, hey, check me. But instead we do, hey, look at you. And he's like, no, no, check yourself. When we, we won't see others clearly until we see ourselves clearly. If you've got a plank in your eye, you won't be seeing others clearly. And that's the trouble with a message like this, is it's so easy to be like, wicked, fool, enemy. <laughs> but what if there's this big old plank in your eye that's making you misread the situations? And you think everybody's out to get you. Oh, why are they? They're so determined to hurt me. Maybe, or maybe you've just got this big gashing wound here that's making you read everything and perceive everything like a hurt. 
And that's why the only response to a sermon like this is not, okay, let's go find these people. (laughs) The only response to a sermon like this is, God, am I? Search me, God, am I? I need to see myself clearly or I won't begin to see others clearly. See, Jesus was pretty kind, relatively speaking, to the Romans. There are not very many passages where you see him rebuking the Romans. He's silent before Pilate, gracious on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus was careful with the disciples, correcting them like the fools that they sometimes were. But you know who Jesus was toughest on? The self-righteous Pharisee. The one who said, ain't nothing wrong with me. It's all of y'all that are the problem. Jesus is like, I can't help you. Can't help you if you think that there's nothing wrong with you. Luke 18, 9 through 11, to some who were confident of their own righteousness, there it is, and who looked down on everyone else, wicked, fool, enemy, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector, and the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. That's the danger of a sermon like this. Let's all stand and thank God that we're so much better. I thank you that I'm not like robbers or evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance, and he would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. This man. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. God doesn't need our eloquence. God doesn't need our bright and shiny Christian faces. God needs our honest confession. And I have really good news for you. That when Jesus finds you at your worst, (laughs) he unleashes his grace and mercy. Maybe you're in this room and you're like, I'm afraid to admit that I might be a difficult person because, because the truth is, I have this voice in my head of my parents who said that you're such a nuisance and you're so difficult and you're so bothersome and... So I, I, don't, I don't want to be that difficult person. Listen, listen. Your Father in heaven is full of grace, abounding in mercy. And if you come to him and say, God, I'm sure I've been difficult to you and to others, he'll say, and I love you. You're mine. And I forgive you. And I welcome you. And so we're getting ready to come to the table. And the best way thing we can do is to humble ourselves and to invite the Holy Spirit to search our own hearts and see if there be any wicked way in us. So I've got the message paraphrase of Psalm 139 on the screen. And I want to invite you to pray this out loud with me. And if it helps you to open up your hands, you can do that right where you are. But let's pray these words. Investigate my life, O God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. 
see yourself whether I've done anything wrong and then guide me on the road to eternal life. Jesus, good shepherd, who died for our sins, your blood shed for us, your body given for us, come and cleanse us now. Come and forgive us now. Come and restore us now. receive your grace. We receive your spirit. A church, in Jesus' name, our sins are forgiven. Would you stand with me? And on this side, if you would kind of move to your right and come and gather the elements, and this side, if you come to your left and gather the elements, and take them back to your seats with you, and we'll receive them together in just a moment. But let's come and receive the elements from the table here. Oh yeah, the table's over there and over there. Thank you. When you go back to your seats, you can you can get it ready. We'll receive it together, but you can open up the that top layer for the bread and the layer underneath it for the juice. Jesus. in your hand, I want you to just invite the Holy Spirit to help you see something this morning. Lord, who do I need to stay away from? Or what influences do I need to stay away from? And Lord, who do I need to stay alert around? Discerning, careful. And Lord, who do I need to stay kind to? where I'm tempted to harden my heart, who do I need to stay gracious toward? Just hold those questions before the Lord this morning. Jesus, we know that fountainhead of right relationships begins right here with you. Set us right. Heal our hearts. Take the log out of our own eye so that we're not misperceiving and projecting and all of that other stuff on others. Wash over us with your love and your grace. Thank you that you accept us, that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were your enemies, you came for us. We thank you for it, Lord. On the night that he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread, and when he blessed it, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take and eat, this is my body which is given for you.
do this in remembrance of me. Let's receive the body. And after supper, he took the cup of wine, and when he had given thanks to the Father, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. So let's receive the cup now. Now, would you just take a moment, a few moments, and just lift up a song of thanksgiving? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Thank you for your love, Lord. Thank you that you love us even when we were unloved. Even when we were far away. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Grace of God come rushing through. Spirit of God, come breathe the renewing wind into our hearts. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And Lord, make us people who know how to love well. Where we need to stay away, let us stay away. Where we need to stay alert, help us stay alert. And where we need to stay kind, help us stay kind. But may we do all of this from the place of abiding Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Glenn. Guys, was that not a word in season? Jonathan, can we do the doxology? Let's sing together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Also go online, midtown.newlifechurch.org, and you can sign up for Pastor Jade's, I'll say Pastor Jade for your benefit, my honey bun, my man, sign up for my man's letter, you'll get it each week, and he'll keep you all informed on what's going on. But two really important things is do not forget, next Sunday we have service in the park, which is like our favorite service all year long. Like everybody shows up for service in the park, so be there. Um, So we will not have our normal service times. We'll just have one service time. So 10 a.m. at Green Village Park right over there. And again, you can go online and get those details. Also, last but not least, in two Sundays, so not next Sunday, but the Sunday after, we will have baptisms. And so make sure that if you have not had an opportunity to make your faith, your public declaration of faith known, this is a great time to do it. We'll make sure you're equipped, that you have everything you need, but go online and sign up for that. All right, family, be blessed. And go forth and make his greatness known in your city. Amen? All right. Love you guys.